0: Eighty-five percent of the federal workforce operates outside of the nation's capital. That's why the government has Federal Executive Boards, or FEBs. The decades-old program helps coordinate and communicate among agency headquarters and field offices for things like snow days and other emergencies. But the 28 boards across the country also manage mentoring and training programs and much more for the federal workforce. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman got the latest from the director of the FEBs at the Office of Personnel Management, Anita Spinner.
1: When President Kennedy really coordinated the FEBs in 1961, his vision, I'm going to quote, is still applicable today, which is to bring more closely together the many activities of the government and individual states and communities throughout the nation. So for the last 61 years, that has still been the mission of the FEB is to really improve coordination with those agencies and their respective locations and also with headquarters as well. And one of the things that we've seen, 85 percent of federal employees are in field locations. And so the boards really ensure that the senior leaders and those federal employees have a way to communicate and share information So in a nutshell, they strengthen and empower the federal workforce.
2: What does that communication look like and what types of things are you communicating about for federal employees?
1: As noted in the annual report, the communication deals with preparing in events of emergencies, trainings, recognizing federal employees in those respective areas. It also deals with fostering SES partnerships since the board members are the highest ranking senior leaders. And so ensuring that communication and exchange could be through emails, through trainings, through a variety of methods that could happen that way.
2: I'm sure one of the big emergency preparedness efforts that you had underway, at least within the last couple of years, was handling the COVID-19 pandemic. But now, of course, we're a couple of years out from that. How have your preparedness efforts or emergency preparedness efforts shifted in the last year? And you know, are you still looking at anything that's related to the pandemic or some of the changes for the federal workforce that have stemmed from that?
1: That is such an interesting question um, because one of the things the FEBs do is, as inter-agencies is communicate before an emergency. And so we actually all lived through an emergency where that application became really real to everyone. But of course, headquarters leads those efforts. And so any communications that FEBs sent out in regards to that was an amplification of headquarters messaging. And so, and we continue to really have our same posture and nothing is really quite different on that as we move forward.
2: And when you are communicating, when FEBs do communicate, what does that really look like? Is it emails? Is it meetings, Uh, phone calls? How are you guys really communicating all of this information among the different FEBs?
1: so the local agency heads that are board members they have direct responsibility to make decisions for emergency information so what febs will share information so whether it's from the NOAA weather service so they would basically put all the information in one place through email maybe through a meeting that those local agency heads can make the decision so it's a way for them to be able to accomplish their mission
2: and aside from emergency preparedness and and that sort of response there. I know that FEBs also work on a lot of other things, like you mentioned SES. There's, you know, trainings that you offer. Can you tell me a little bit more about what are some of the other things that FEBs do besides this communication
1: piece of it? So the senior executive members are actually board members, so they're the ones who actually will do the communicating and collaboration. But when it comes to other things, it depends on the needs of the community, and that's what I love about FEBs. We say it's a national network with local connections. So what are the needs that have been identified by the senior leaders for those respective employees? So is it leadership development in their respective areas? There could be programs developed around that. Could it be just really a succinct retirement training? So like we have a train that's been put together, what's in your retirement wallet, where really federal employees in those respective areas can hear about all the various components of their retirement right from the experts. So whether it's OPM, you know, HHS, all of the components hearing from that. So it depends on the needs of the area. And that's one of the things as an interagency organization, FEBs do really well is to be responsive to those needs.
2: Another thing I, I was kind of curious about with FEBs, I know there are 28 of them. How is that number determined or how is the location determined? Is it just based on clusters of, of agencies or federal employees working across the country? How, does, how do you map out where FEBs should exist?
1: So as mentioned on our website, um, I one, that's one of our frequently asked questions. Um, right now, the FEBs are located where there are a large concentration of federal employees. And so that's just generally how it's been determined previously.
2: The other thing that I did want to talk about about FEBs is some of the recent changes that have come from both the fiscal 2023 uh, budget and the 2024 budget requests. So I know that one thing that has been on. The mind, I guess, of FEBs is having stable and predictable funding. How would that change things for FEBs?
1: Yes, I'm not at liberty to go into the details about the budget process and how that worked, but I will say one of the things that you probably noticed is that there's now a collaboration between OPM, OMB, and GSA. And we truly have modeled the FEB mission for interagency partnerships. And so we're still setting up the foundation, um, but we really are excited to be able to see when you have maybe a more stable interagency funding model and the shared governance, how it will allow us to be able to expand services and build the structure, but we're still in process of that. So we don't have any final things to share on that at this moment.
2: And just for my own understanding, how does the FEB funding work currently? If you don't have this, what they call in the budget request, stable and predictable funding, what does, what does your current funding um, actually look like?
1: So when President Kennedy established the program in 1961, it didn't come with a funding mechanism. So can you imagine a 61-year program, because the value of the FEBs has been seen nationwide, departments and agencies have volunteered to staff the program. And so that, you know, that support will continue and just in a different form.
2: Something else that was in the budget request was the internal governance structure of FEBs. Break down a little bit more for me what exactly that update would look like or what that really would mean for FEBs as well.
1: So it goes back to what I mentioned previously, that in the 5 CFR 960, the OPM director is has oversight of the FEB program. So under this new model, it's an expanded governance with OPM, OMB, and GSA. And so at those senior levels, they will be working together to really set the strategic direction for the FEB program.
2: I had a chance to look at the um, 2022 FEB report there is a lot that FEBs did accomplish in the last year. What are some of the things that you found most telling or is there anything that you wanna highlight about some of the recent work that um, FEBs have, have been doing?
1: I really appreciate how they've been able to support the communities, especially recognizing federal employees uh, through their award ceremonies and award programs. Um, So many people, there's so much that federal employees do across the nation, and because 85% of federal employees outside of D.C., it's a way to recognize those individuals. So despite maybe having to shift to virtual platforms where they had that or place-based awards, they have still been able to recognize federal employees. And that's really our goal with everything we do is to really highlight what it means to be a true federal servant, how it can impact the nation. And that's what FEBs have been able to do through their award ceremonies. And so I really appreciate that as well as being able to have those true interagency connections. And so through those interagency connections and working together. They've been able to share resources, break down those silos, and be able to help accomplish their agency missions as well together. So in that report, you will see there's some exercises, there's some trainings that were mentioned, of course, supporting CFC, which is really a big portion of what they do as well, and just looking at different place-based programs and supporting early career talent. So working together as respective agencies in those locations have helped to achieve that. So I am just thrilled to be able to see that and how it just has a major impact nationwide just from an awareness
2: perspective how many federal employees know about the work of febs Is it something that you know it's pretty common that most agency uh, employees will know what febs are how much awareness do, do febs have
1: well, I would hope they would, the folks would know. So I really don't, I can't really speak to that. As you know, we have you know, a social media presence, we have a website. Um, we do make sure that through headquarters we're sharing information. So um, I would hope that through interviews such as this and we can just continue to spread the word even more.
2: Anything else that you wanted to add about maybe some of the work that FEBs have coming up or what you're gonna be looking at uh, over the next year?
1: Um, we're just looking at you making sure that, to, to your point, that we bring even more visibility um, to the federal executive boards and really highlight that there really are centers of excellence that bring all senior leaders together and assist them in accomplishing their mission. Um, I really heard a phrase one time that they're the glue that binds the federal government together. So really ensuring that we are being able to get that message out as we move into the future.
0: OPM's Anita Spinner, speaking with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Check out Drew's story at federalnewsnetwork.com.
3: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, president of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration Came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was Chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges and the University of Wisconsin Extension. Before that, he held numerous other administrative posts in academia, including Vice President for the University of Outreach, Associate Provost at Auburn University, and um, Associate Provost of Rutgers. And when we were talking, Earlier, too, you had just mentioned that you had a, um, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And David, thank you so much for joining me.
0: Shane, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with
3: you. It's not in, your, um, in the short bio here, but I also know you served in some capacity in the Obama administration. Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, as I was
0: leaving the University of Wisconsin, where I oversaw the UW colleges, I accepted the presidency at Morgan. And on my way into the presidency at Morgan in 2010, my name was advanced to President Obama to be considered as a member of his Board of Advisors on historically black colleges and universities. And so I accepted and served there for eight years during his two terms.
3: Amazing. You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field? And what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I
0: was made aware of a quote by Horace Mann, who was a great 19th century educator who really gave rise to public education in the United States. And he was the first to utter the phrase that education is the great equalizer. And why that resonated with me was because I grew up in
3: influenced your leadership position now as president of Morgan State. It, it had to have had an impact, but how would you articulate that? So if you go back to that Alabama environment,
0: what I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters who were 10 times smarter than I was, but my first five brothers were illiterate. They never got an opportunity to show